You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm great. I skied into work this yeah, morning. Yeah, I was going to say, we both slid it into our seats today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, skied it into our seats today. It was uh, pretty fortunate yeah. that uh, we got here on time, but... God willing, everything Everything well we landed has, here and the, the show's well on. So far, yes. yeah, welcome to winter 2019-20. Um, <laughs> I, didn't have any, I don't have any snow tires on, so it was a, a fun drive-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but much better as I got towards the radio station. But we're here. Oh, we're, we're actually on time. Alex and I had planned to, uh, what are we going to do if we're a little bit late? But uh, yeah. things work out. They things, always do. Things do. Things do. Our show today is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those three destinations. And email us at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions. Sorry, email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Any plans or anything that you did over the weekend, Alex? Yes, well, uh, Radio Maria, we hosted our, our dinner dinner fundraising mm-hmm. event. It was a really great success. Excellent. Um, it was very well attended, and the response we got was amazing, and uh, it's a great uh, the great efforts were made by the whole gala committee this uh, this year, and uh, it really, it really was a great success. Excellent! Congratulations yeah. to everybody and to you too. I mean, really, you are you know the the meat and potatoes of of this place here in Toronto, getting all these shows up, and and uh, Alex works tirelessly. Let me tell you, uh, how many shows, Alex, are you producing? I think I've asked this before, but how many shows are you producing? I approximately. Approximately. Well, it's about uh, at least. 25 that I'm managing between yeah. the English, Italian, and Spanish programs. And, and if they're all as, as um, uh, on top of uh, what you're doing as I am, like what's going on, Alex? This, uh, you have a lot of questions to field from all the hosts. So I do thank you very much for, again, your patience. Oh, you're very and, welcome. Uh, yeah, it's great. And congratulations to everyone in the gala committee. I'm glad everything went uh, as planned. Terrific. Yes, thank you very much. Um, Alex, our podcast from last week is up, almost up, ready to go. It's up right now, yes. All right, and it's not on my website yet, but it's on the Radio Maria website, which is www.radiomaria.ca. But you can find all of our podcasts um, on SoundCloud, iTunes, on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Do take a listen. 
fantastic guests, uh, as is our guest today, uh, the world-renowned Dr. Dipnarine Maharaj. Um, he is is uh, just outstanding in the field, and stick with us, because I think you'll really, really find our subject and his conversation with us fascinating. <clears throat> but before we get to that, um, by happenstance, because I usually plan what I want to talk about before the show starts, you know, a few days in advance, I didn't know about this snowstorm. This is something that I think I've mentioned in the show before, but it bears uh, repeating because this therapy works so well, and especially at this time of year when uh, the flu season and this, uh, the cold season, it's starting to rear its head. And this is the treatment, the hydrotherapy treatment of warming socks. Now, warming socks is a technique used to relieve symptoms of cold and flus like sore throats, uh, to help with sinus infection, upper respiratory tract infection, headaches, congestion. It really is a, um, a wonderful, simple, obviously very cheap technique when you come to learn about it. But warming socks works by stimulating our immune system. So the, the sock, which is, you know, the technique, which is a hydrotherapy technique, causes the body to increase blood circulation in order to heat up these cold, wet, wet socks that we put on our feet. Um, and it incre- this increase in blood circulation is a stimulation of their immune system, and it really does help to relieve congestion, um, headaches, and it, you know, a lot of people find that when they do this, uh, this warming sock technique, they actually sleep better. Um, it, and it's it's a kind of an uncomfortable feeling when you first do it. Uh, it's it's a little different. But uh, my daughter actually she she brought this into my mind because she hadn't been feeling well, and uh, called me last week from school and said that she put the warming socks on and she just felt so much better the next day. So that you know what let's let's talk about that again because it really does work. Um, and what what they what they do as I said they stimulate the immune system. I haven't been able to find research specifically on this technique of warming socks. But definitely hydrotherapy has been shown to stimulate the immune system. So how do you do it? You get a pair of thin cotton socks. You get a pair of thick wool socks. And you soak the thin socks in some cold water. You wring them out. Go to your bed. Put them on. And then you cover them with the wool socks. And as you sleep, the body uh, and the blood circulates. It warms these socks up. It helps to warm your feet up. And it, um, by the time you wake up in the morning, these socks are dry and most times you're feeling much better than when you started the night before. Good to start this technique when you start feeling symptoms of uh, a flu, cold or any, you know, headache, uh, and, and do it for about three days in a row. And, um, and it really does work. We use it at home all the time. Simple technique. No drugs. No anything. Works out very well. Have you tried it, Alex? I think I did mention it before. Have you tried it? You did, and I haven't yet. And I'm regretting that I haven't. Well, ho- well, hopefully it's because you haven't been sick. But keep it in mind. Well, you I'm know. starting to actually feel something. Oh, are you? Then as go two days ago. Invest yes. in a pair of wool socks. Get your cotton socks. I, I, I guarantee you it, uh, it is a technique that's well worth trying. Well, thank you. My pleasure. So on to today's show. Our guest today is Dr. Dipnarine Maharaj. He is a world-renowned expert, the medical director of the Maharaj Institute, and a leader in the clinical field of stem cell transplantation, immunotherapy, and regenerative medicine. 
He was part of the team in Scotland which developed the standard of care for leukemia patients back in the 1980s. Dr. Maharaj has developed several innovative protocols involving immunotherapy and sees this as the future in the treatment of chronic disease. He has also created a protocol to collect and store an adult's healthy immune system in case of future need. One of the most exciting areas is in the field of aging. Dr. Maharaj is now working on a clinical trial that will see 30 study subjects receiving stem cell mobilization, fresh frozen plasma from the blood of healthy young donors. The objective of this study is the meaningful and systemic reversal of pathological aging processes and the restoration of youthful immune status. This is going to be a fascinating topic, everybody. I do hope you stay tuned and listen. We'll be talking about what actually stem cells are. What is the connection between stem cells and the immune system? Why should we consider banking our own stem cells and many, many other things around this great topic? So everybody, we will be back in a few minutes. Well, I called your name a long time ago And you sprung away from a heart of stone But I was careful then what I let you see Only thought you wanted the best in me The less I trust you, the less I grow The more you love me, the more I know I don't have to be afraid to show All of me, all of me Where this hurt, you show me what healing can do Where this hatred, you show me how kindness can move Where this fear deep inside, I won't run, I won't hide I'll give you all of me so that you can see every broken piece
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live. If you'd like to call in, our number is 416-245-1534. And please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC. Good morning, Dr. Maharaj. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good morning, Kathy. Thank you very much for having me, and it's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Thank you. Um, let's get right into it, because there is so much information that, uh, that we need to share, that you need to share with us. Let's get right to the, to the nitty-gritty here, and explain to us, if you would, what exactly stem cells are. Uh, that's a very good question. So essentially, if we, t- if we look, if we consider ourselves, each individual, we have uh, stem cells in every single organ uh, of our bodies, and these are the stem cells that will regenerate and um, also form the tissues of our organs. So we are in a continuous dynamic state of cells dying and new cells forming to regenerate our organs. Now, when we think about stem cells, we think about which are the organs that have the most, the, the most abundant source of stem cells, uh, and these would be the organs that are regenerating quickly. Now, we, our foc- my focus has always been on the stem cells within the bone marrow because the bone marrow uh, and the stem cells of the bone marrow are responsible for forming the blood, uh, which would be the red cells, white cells, and platelets that we see when we do a blood count. But also there's a critical part of it as well, uh, which is often not looked at, which, are, which is the immune system. And those are, we see it in the blood as our B cells, our T cells, and natural killer cells. So our focus has, all, has been on basically looking at the, um, the, the stem cells within the bone marrow that forms the blood and the cells of the immune system. And so if we, but the, the key part of this is that the stem cells within the bone marrow are they're the, one of the largest sources we have um, and they, they, they influence our health because as you would say, if we don't have a functioning immune system, then our, then our health will suffer. And not just with diseases like cancer, but with chronic diseases. All the different diseases that we think about that comes with aging is a direct effect of the, uh, the changes or loss of function of the stem cells that are occurring within the bone marrow. So I've, I've heard, uh, I've, I've done some research and listened to some talks, and you've brought up the word pluripotent uh, with respect to stem cells. So just so that people get a familiarity, are stem cells, do they have the ability to uh, transform into cells that are needed? Or are you taking a specific stem cell from a specific area with the intention of regenerating that area, like blood? Yes, that, that's a very good question. I think that if we, if, if we first think about the, the question of what is a pluripotent stem cell, within the bone marrow, uh, we have pluripotent stem cells. In fact, uh, the evidence using stochastic modeling has shown that usually when we are born, we have about 20,000 of these pluripotent stem cells which, have come, which are in our bone marrow. And the property of a stem cell is that when it differentiate when it divides it it undergoes self renewal that means it produces an identical twin which then goes back into the bone marrow and stays there so that original stem cell which divided it replaces itself and that's the same property that occurs in every single organ of the body um, the when the stem cell the, the stem cell that divides 
then goes on to form, it co- it's called differentiation, where it basically goes on to form the cells of the blood, like the red cells, white cells, and platelets, but it also forms the cells of the immune system, B cells, T cells, and natural killer cells, which are important, critical for our, for our immune system. What led you down this path? What was the aha moment where you thought stem cells is really um, what we need to be looking at for the health now and in the future? Going back to the original work we did in Scotland, we were the regional the regional cancer center and specifically for treating patients with leukemia. So essentially patients would come to us from all parts of Scotland and sometimes abroad as well as from England as well. And what happened is that um, we were getting these very advanced cases uh, and we at the time were beginning to learn that that cancer, that leukemia, for example, started off by, by a stem cell that came from the bone marrow that was malfunctioning. What we do know now is that when you have, before a stem cell will become a leukemia, it undergoes a process called senescence. And these stem cells are exposed to toxins or viruses or various things that causes damage to the genes of the stem cell. Now the stem cell can actually accumulate these genes over time and it undergoes this process of senescence is where a cell is, is the, the, the DNA of the cell, the genes are abnormal, it divides up to a certain point and then it stops dividing because the, the purpose of that cell stopping dividing is to prevent it from becoming a cancer or leukemia. That's called a senescent cell. And so what happens to all of us as we age, as we're exposed to toxins, as an example, let's say somebody's ingesting a lot of mercury, their, 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 their stem cells are being exposed to the environment of the blood that contains a lot of this toxin like mercury. So damage is occurring to those cells. Their stem cells, they're becoming senescent and they're losing their function. So a pool of functioning stem cells begins to decrease and these abnormal stem cells begin begins to increase that's what occurs with aging of the immune system the problem with these stem cells is that if the immune system weakens these senescent cells can become have further genetic damage and they can go on to become leukemia so the 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 <clears throat> the appearance of the senescent cells with aging uh, is basically what we uh, we see that causes chronic diseases. Now, that's the that's the explanation of how how important it is to know about the effects of aging on our stem cells. The second part you asked me about was: Do stem cells from the bone marrow do they circulate and can they go? Can they leave from the bone marrow and go to other organs to help to repair? And do they then become the the, the stem cell within that particular organ? Let me uh, explain that a little bit more. So is it possible for a stem cell from the bone marrow to go to the brain and convert itself into a brain stem cell? There is evidence to suggest that that can occur. That's called a process that's called transdifferentiation, where a stem cell originally from the bone marrow can take on the characteristics of a stem cell within the brain. And we believe that that is happening on, on, on an ongoing basis. But there's also, there are also different types of stem cells that occur within the bone marrow. We have three different types of stem cells that can be released from the bone marrow. One is called hemopoietic, that's the stem cells 
that I've been fo- that I've been talking about predominantly that repairs the bone, the blood, forms the blood and the immune system. There's another type of stem cell called a mesenchymal stem cell that actually that stem cell when it circulates reduces inflammation in in different areas of the body and there's a third type of stem cell called an endothelial stem cell which when it's released from the bone marrow will go and help to repair blood vessels so the predominant function of these stem cells is to help to repair damage caused by other organs so for example if somebody has a stroke and you measure the their blood uh this is their peripheral blood in the days after the stroke, you will see there's an increase of stem cells that are normally present in the bone marrow circulating in the blood. The same thing you could see after somebody has a heart attack. And essentially what's occurring there is the stem cells are leaving the bone marrow and going to these organs to help to repair the damage. Okay, perfect. Because, you know, I think what we may be more common about a common knowledge of hearing is stem cells injected in the knee to help repair the knee. So this differentiation is is a, a key piece to what we're going to be talking about now, which is that connection between your research chronic inflammation and the immune system. Now, if this is the crux of what you're doing, is it not? Yes, correct. So if we consider if we consider what we all want, what do we all want? We want to be able to live our lives to be healthy. Uh, we don't want to have diseases, and we want to be able to be uh, have a functional life, functional life where we're doing all the things that we want to do without diseases and with health until the day we die. Are there people who can achieve that? The answer is yes. There are people who live. Uh, to be a hundred and healthy with very few ailments um, and they live in particular areas of the world we call that the blue zones if you look at these individuals you will notice that they there if you look at them the blood markers of inflammation that they have they're well balanced they're balanced with inflammatory and anti-inflammatory markers of inflammation but the key part that you if you look at them you will find that their immune system is actually uh, very healthy and if you compare their immune system to let's say a 20 year old often you will find they have the same type of immune system as a healthy 20 year old so they're maintaining their immune systems throughout their lives unfortunately for the majority of people the immune system uh, between the ages of 18 and 35 to 40 it's at its peak we call that but then after 40 the immune system begins to decline and at 65 it takes a nosedive that's the reason why if you look at the incidence of diseases like cancer and other chronic diseases you will find for example if you if you compare a 65 to 74 year old person the incidence of cancer in that age group is about 2000 times greater than it is in a person who is in their 20s so that's one aspect of this problem of the declining of the immune system because when the immune system begins to decline or we call that immune dysfunction then patients develop a chronic inflammation with a healthy immune system let's say we have a viral infection and i heard in the talk before you were talking about the cold and now there's going to be a high incidence of people getting colds well what when a cold occurs uh, or a viral a viral infection occurs the immune system should respond to it and produce acute inflammation which is essentially what's helping to kill the virus but if that inflammation continues for a long period of time that becomes chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation is a direct result of dysfunction of the immune system as it's weakening 
that chronic inflammation is what causes diseases, like neuroinflammation causes diseases of the brain, like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS. These are all diseases associated with neuroinflammation, diseases of the heart, heart failure, uh, cardiovascular diseases, diseases caused by inflammation and chronic inflammation, kidney diseases as well, um, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis. So coming back to the knees, when patients have inflammation of the knees, and this is a chronic inflammation, we can, all, we can be certain that they've already got immune dysfunction, which is occurring as a result of the aging process. So um, I, I hope that helps to explain some of the, the, the relationship between the, the immune system, weakening of the immune system or immune dysfunction, inflammation, chronic inflammation, and diseases. I always find that when someone answers a question very succinctly, it just brings to my mind 10 more of them. So, and that's what's happened. So I think it's a very succinct answer. Now, when it comes to your research, we're going to focus on your research alone. Are we talking about reversal of disease or prevention of disease or a combination of the two? It's a combination of the two. And essentially, as a bone marrow transplant physician throughout my career, I would get patients who, had the, who basically were end stage. And what we were able to show by using either their own stem cells uh, or using someone else's stem cells, but we pioneered the ability to use an individual's own stem cells to be able to restore their immune system. So basically what, what I'm saying is that uh, my work, my research has been on regeneration of the immune system using the individual's own stem cells. However, what I felt that we were doing is that patients would come to see us after they had developed major diseases. And our results have been very good, and now our process, the process that we developed in, or the procedure we developed in Scotland, which was using unpurged bone marrow stem cells to treat patients with leukemia, that's called, that's called an autologous bone marrow transplant. That's now a standard of care throughout the world, and it's used for treating patients with leukemia, lymphomas, or multiple myelomas. What, what we were able to show is that when we did this procedure, patients would be, could have long, long-term survival. But we were able to differentiate between the patients who would have long-term survival from the patients who would die earlier. And the difference was because when you looked at the immune system of the patients who had long-term survival, we found that these patients had their immune systems restored, whereas the patients in whom they did not survive even after the procedure, their immune systems did not reinstate or restore. So that then the, the question came up about, well, how could we help others? How could we help other patients before their immune systems actually became damaged, before they got cancers, before they got other diseases? And that's where the in-depth um, evaluation of an individual's immune system came about. And so we developed the protocols together with my colleagues who are experts in the field of immunology in terms of laboratory immunology. My work has been in translational transplantation and studying the immunology of transplantation. We basically came up with a way to be able to take anyone, measure their immune system, to be able to identify the specific cells of the immune system which could help us to understand which path somebody was on. So uh, the, to answer your question again, what types of patients do we treat? We treat patients who have got already established diseases. When we look at their immune system using our blood test, we find we know it's abnormal. It's just a category of saying, well, 
they've got immune senescence, so which category of diseases do they have or which combinations? They will have either cancer, they will have a chronic inflammatory disorder, they, for example, they may have Parkinson's or they may have other neuroinflammatory disorders, or they could have something as simple, simple as fibromyalgia. But the other, the other types of diseases are autoimmune diseases, patients who have recurrent infections, and patients who are just getting old. We call that frailty. So we can sort of categorize patients into those different groups based upon what we're finding with the immune system, and the basis of that is the senescence of the immune system. It's called immune senescence. If somebody has a healthy immune system, and I have many patients in their 90s, when you measure their immune system, it's normal. Those individuals don't have immune senescence, and so those are the individuals who are going to live longer. So the, the idea was that if we have patients, we measure their immune system, they either have the diseases or they're going to get those diseases, then we work on correcting their immune system. And the individuals who, when we measure their immune system, it's normal, we offer them the opportunity to say, okay, it's normal now, but what about five years, 10 years, could it suddenly decline? We offer them to take some of their cells, the stem cells and the cells of their immune system and freeze it. That's the proactive approach. Mm -hmm. And then the, the treatment approach is to measure the immune system, correct it, and then look for the improvements in the chronic inflammatory processes as well as the reduction of the inflammation and improvement in the immune system. Great. So this is a proactive as well as uh, you know, a preventative as well, proactive and for people that are in active disease. We're going to take a quick break right here and we're going to come back with our discussion with Dr. Maharaj.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Maharaj about stem cells. Dr. Maharaj, I've had a few questions come in, wondering if you might uh, be so kind as to field them. Yes, certainly. Okay, the, the first one is, uh, who can bank these stem cells? Uh, essentially, um, the ideal candidate is someone between the ages of 18 and 40, and 40, because we know that during that age group, the immune system is at its peak. But ideally, the situation can, can actually be extended to each individual who has a normal immune system. Um, and so therefore, even individuals who've already had diseases, that where their immune system is damaged, but when it's corrected, um, they can bank their stem cells. So one of the areas we're focusing on are individuals who've had a, a history of cancer and have received pre, uh, previous chemotherapy and radiation, but they're back in remission and they're doing well. Those individuals, because of the, the risk of, of leukemia caused by the chemotherapy and radiation that they would have been exposed to, would be good candidates to bank their stem cells because if they do do develop leukemia later on, it's a secondary type of leukemia, which is extremely difficult to treat. But by having their own stem cells, which are stored, and with a healthy immune system, if later on something should occur like that, then they can use their own stem cells instead of having to find a donor, because usually the problems with donors is that often you may not find them. There are mismatches. If they do have mismatches, the risk of graft versus host disease is very high. The reason why I felt it was necessary to have this program is there were many situations when I had patients with those situations, that is that they had developed, uh, they had been treated for their cancer and they developed a leukemia later and we were trying to find a donor for them to do the transplant. We could not find a donor. So the, the idea was therefore, let's, let's solve a problem by helping these individuals who many times they're not aware of it until the problem existed. And so we, we established our bank to be able to identify individuals who are at high risk. So patients who've had with cancer, who have developed, um, who, who have received chemotherapy radiation, which, which uh, and therefore at risk of developing leukemia, that's one group. There are other certain pe other people who basically are at risk of developing um, cancers as a result of their occupation. So for example, we have airline staff who travel a lot, individuals who travel a lot, there are people who could do that. There are also, uh, we have a program where firefighters who are being exposed to toxins as a result of their occupation, they can do, they, we have a program for them. People who are exposed to radiation of any type, either occupational or environmental, these are individuals who could store it. It really comes back down to, the, to answer the question, who should store their stem cells? I believe everyone should, should bank their immune system because when, when it's healthy, because as we age, our immune system is weakening, and therefore we want to be able to have a healthy immune system uh, that's put away in the bank so that as aging occurs or the immune system begins to decline, we've got an, we've got an option to be able to, to help that person to be able to correct their immune system. 
Well, you can tell people are listening and interested because the um, practical questions that I'm getting are, are great. Um, are there risks for donating your stem cells? The risks, the risks are minimal. <clears throat> Essentially, every year, about 20,000 people worldwide will actually give their stem cells using the procedure we use, which I'll describe in a minute. What they do is they go through that procedure to be able to donate their stem cells to someone else. You may, the listeners may be aware of programs like the National Maradona programs. They're usually programs in every country where people can, uh, they can um, actually uh, sign up to donate their stem cells to, to someone else in, in need. And so those are all healthy individuals who are basically signing up so that if somebody needs their stem cells, they can donate their cells to that person in need who has a disorder of the immune system or the blood or cancer. What I'm saying is that it's very good to do that, but it's also good to know that we can do it for ourselves because if we have our own cells stored for the immune system, if in the future the pro a problem arises with our immune system, we don't have to depend on a donor, finding a donor. We've got our own cells in the bank. Okay. Um, and is it painful? The procedure is it's a straightforward procedure, and that is what we do is we give a protein which is a stem cell mobilizing agent, that what it does is over five days, it increases in the majority of people the number of stem cells circulating in the blood, uh, up, and it can be up to 400-fold. And then we use a simple procedure, which is where uh, it's very similar to when somebody goes to the blood bank to donate platelets. It's called a apheresis. We use that procedure to be able to uh, collect the stem cells, and then we freeze it. And those cells can be kept for an indefinite period of time once they're frozen. Now, to answer more specifically your question, is it painful? The protein that we give to mobilize the stem cells in the majority and over 90% of patients, they, they don't experience any pain because the, pain, the, the stem cells are coming from the blood. It's not coming from when somebody sticks a needle into the bone. That's definitely not what we're doing. The 10% of patients or about 10% of patients can experience some bone pain, uh, and that's related to the re release of the stem cells from the bone marrow. But I've been doing this procedure for, throughout my career, and it's very easy to treat that because usually when we give um, an anti-inflammatory like Aleve or Tylenol or the combination of the two, for the majority of patients, this solves the pain and, and prevents it. So it is possible to do it completely pain-free. Now, do people go and stay at your clinic for an extended period of time? Um, the process usually is about a week. So we have many people who come, um, who come, come to the, to, who come to see us. They stay in a hotel uh, close by because the the duration of time that they need to, to spend uh, in our area is about a week. Uh, or it actually it's ideally about six days. They've, the amount of time in the first day is probably about two to three hours as we're doing the blood work to, uh, to test and then uh, each, uh, each, each day until the last day, which is the sixth day when we collect, it's about 15 minutes a day just getting the shots and then on the sixth day, longer process because that's the, the time that's usually involved with the, the, the phoresis where we're collecting the stem cells. Are there any are there people that are not candidates? Is someone who's in an active disease uh, still a candidate, or are they um, are they not basically? 
But someone who is, an, who is has an active disease, whose immune system is abnormal and is causing the active disease because they may not be candidates at that time. However, usually what we do is we will correct their immune system and once their immune system is corrected, depending on the disease process, then we can, uh, we can advise them to go ahead and bank some of their stem cells. The goal is to get an immune system which is normal mm-hmm. and bank Dr. Maharaj? Yes, hello. Oh, sorry, something happened there. Sorry, the, the, sorry, the goal is to get uh, to normalize the immune system. I think that's where we cut out. Yes, the goal is to, have, is to bank a normal immune system. So even in, in individuals who are, have a, have a, already have a disease process, the work that we are doing in immune regeneration is that we will identify where the problems are in the immune system. We will treat them to correct it when it corrects. At that point, we will say to them, okay, now you can actually bank your stem cells. Okay, and um, are, are people vetted or, you know, someone, uh, say, for instance, out of, from Canada? Uh, for instance, if I wanted to come to you as a person that uh, has had chemotherapy and radiation, do you vet me ahead of time and say, yes, you're a good candidate and I get the blood work done or is everything done down there? No, we will vet beforehand. We will, first of all, do what's called a donor evaluation. So we're basically evaluating each person as to the um, the benefits of doing it. There may be some people. Uh, there may be some people who I would not recommend that they're doing it. But they, they do it, and the reason is because could they have already could they already have damage to their bone marrow or their immune system is dysfunctional that I wouldn't recommend collecting it at that point. Okay. And finally, um, I don't know if this is something you want to discuss uh, on the radio, but uh, someone asked the cost of this procedure and the no, banking. I think it's, 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 it's difficult to, to talk to each individual person about the costs because I think that's more of something that we would do on a one-to-one. Okay. So if we have, uh, if we have, if somebody is interested in that, um, we can give them the information and they could talk to one of our patient navigators right. who will be more specific because I think that one of the issues that we want to, to address is the fact that whatever, whatever may be suitable for one person, it's a very personalized approach that we're taking. What we do know is if somebody is just banking their cells, and if somebody needed a bone marrow transplant, um, and I'm talking about the United States now, if somebody needed a bone marrow transplant and they had the insurance or they had to pay for the cost of identifying those cells to do the bone marrow transplant, the cost is significantly higher than the, the cost that we are charging for it because we have tried to, to, to make this as a, a treatment or something to be proactive for people to look after their health. And so we've done everything we can to basically make, it as, uh, make the cost as low as we can mm-hmm. and make it cost-effective, so it's significantly lower than if what somebody would be charged if they were going, if they needed stem cells for a bone marrow transplant because they already had a disease. Okay, so you, you get the uh, stem cells, you bank them indefinitely at your facility or off-site facility, I'm not sure how it works. Somebody needs to access those stem cells. Are you taking care of the patient's treatment yourself? Or are these stem cells being uh, mobilized to different areas that were, you know, where the patient's living? Yes, no, that's a very question. It's a very good question because we have patients coming to see us internationally to be able to do that. One of the one of the one of the important things about our program 
is our program is accredited by the American Association of Blood Banks. So we follow the same standards that all transplant centers follow throughout the uh, United States and around the world. And so essentially what we're doing is when we collect the stem cells, we're collecting it according to transplant standards and we're following the established criteria. And this is basically what our our accreditation bodies look for. So all our policies and procedures are there. So we're prepared that if somebody needs their stem cells in another part of the world, a transplant physician looking at our documentation will see that the standards conform to the standards that they follow as transplant physicians. And that's one of the advantages of our program compared to, you may hear other programs saying, well, we're storing stem cells, etc. But our program, basically, I'm a transplant physician, so I'm evaluating each person when, they, when we collect their stem cells uh, and their immune system according to transplant centers, transplant st- standards, so that we're saying, okay, are these cells going to be used in the way that they should be, because I know what's, having done so many transplants over my years, I'm looking to say that these cells will be suitable for that person should they need a transplant in the future. Can people come to your clinic directly for the transplant? They can, or they can have it done uh, at other sites where, uh, where, which would be, could be closer to home. Okay, so the transplant is done. And you've got your patients sitting there in front of you. Um, I, I, I would imagine that there is a protocol to follow after the stem cell transplantation. Uh, this, I mean, I, I could be off base with this, but I'm imagining, you know, you'd want people to get involved more with their health on the diet and lifestyle aspect, because is this a cure-all or this is part of a greater plan? It's part of a greater plan. I mean, the greater plan is basically that we want to educate people to be healthy and to be able to, and so if we look at healthy equals normal immune system, then we have to always go back and ask the question, well, what are the things that we could be doing to preserve our immune system and maintain our health? Um, And the additional part I'm saying is that what we're doing is we're saying, in addition to all of these things, here is an additional part that we could use, but that someone could follow, which is basically using the technology that we have available now that we've developed over many years. So it's part of an overall plan. The overall plan is basically, as I say, it's to educate people as to what can they do. Now, if we look at immune dysfunction and we ask the question, well, what are the things that can cause damage to the immune system, I'll go through the list. So in 5 to 10% of cases, it could be genetic. But in the majority of individuals, um, it is actually uh, environmental and lifestyle. So if we go down through the list that I usually explain to people when they ask, well, what could have damaged my immune system or what do I do to preserve my immune system? Number one, exposure to toxins. So, for example, I alluded to the fact that people exposed to mercury and, for example, if people, if people are eating fish, as an example, that's heavily contaminated with mercury and mercury accumulates in the body, mercury accumulation has been identified to cause an autoimmune disorder associated with an autoimmune disorder. And that's just one example of the multiple toxins that people can be exposed to that is damaging their immune system. As another example, simple drinking water from plastic bottles 
large studies have shown that the plastics leach into the into the water they drink it over a period of time and they become exposed and the risk of cancer and other diseases or damage to the immune system increases so that's one exa- one example of a, of what one cause the second one now most people think about their diets and actually diet is really important because it accounts for about 35% of you, the overall causes of the immune dysfunction the type of foods that we're eating, the best type of diet for someone to follow to maintain and preserve their immune system is actually a whole food plant-based diet and to be able to follow um, to make sure that that diet is also personalized to them to be, so that not everybody should, have, should follow the same type of diet. But there are certain classic classes of diets which are fits certain categories of people based, upon, again, upon their genetics and also their environment that they're living in. Uh, you, hear, you hear about so many different types of diets, but I think really what we have to do is personalize the diet to each individual to maintain their immune system. But overall, a whole food plant-based diet is the best one. The second, the third thing that we, can, we have to look at is even though somebody, someone is eating the best diet, they may have micronutrient deficiencies. Studies done by the Aging Institutes of the NIH of Aging in the United States have shown that 50 to 70% of Americans have micronutrient deficiencies. Now, people try to take supplements to correct that, and they, they basically they just take supplements. But the real way of knowing how it's affecting their immune system is to measure the micronutrient deficiencies and correct specifically the ones that they're abnormal in doesn't mean that everything needs to be corrected, but when they're abnormal, they need to be corrected. The other thing that can occur is that certain foods that people are eating may be causing inflammation of the gut. Uh, that's one cause of inflammation in the gut, which causes malabsorption of these micronutrients. The second, but the, the, the actually the major one is the microbiome of the gut. Mm-hmm. So when the microbiome of the gut is abnormal, it causes uh, it causes inflammation of the lining of the gut, which is often classed as a leaky gut. But it, with a healthy microbiome, the immune system of the gut, which accounts for 70% of the immune system of the body, is maintained. So we want to make sure that, the, that, uh, that we, when we're looking at someone's immune system, we want to make sure that we could measure their microbiome, look for where the abnormalities are, and then correct it. The other things that can cause dysfunction of the immune system are chronic infections. So if someone has a chronic viral, bacterial, or fungal infection, it's all like the immune system is continuously being on overdrive, it weakens. We also have to look at the effects of uh, sleep. If people are not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, their immune system will suffer. If they're stressed for prolonged periods of time, their immune system will suffer. If they're not exercising, their immune systems will suffer. We also have to look at uh, other, uh, we, look at, we talk about vitamin D, but vitamin D is not a vitamin, it's a hormone. It's a critical hormone for the functioning of the immune system. We also have to think about alcohol. There are studies, large epidemiological studies, that show that any intake of alcohol can cause damage to the immune system and can cause cancer. So we want to be aware of that as well. And then the other thing that is, which we tend to have a lot of in Florida compared to um, where, where you are in Canada is sunlight. There is a definite association between the changes in the immune system and the levels of sunlight we're getting. If you look at the incidence of cancer in northern climates, it tends to peak in the winter. 
whereas in equatorial climates it tends to not you don't see that same uh, um, the the changes that occur throughout the year so those are some of the main things that we focus in on but the approach that we take with each individual patient is that we like to measure we use a precision base where we measure these various things and then we look to see what's abnormal. We focus on, on what is abnormal and we correct that. And that's part of the maintenance plan of keeping the immune system normal. And this you do in clinic or you're referring out to people when they go home? Uh, we do that. We do it at the institute. But if they are, if they are, if they are already working on those areas, then we will just basically look to see what they're doing and make either recommendations to them or to their doctors of what they can do um, to be able to, to 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 correct these abnormalities if they, if they're there mm-hmm. if we identify them. Excellent. Now, can you please give us information about um, the the institute that you're at, where you're at, how people can get in touch with you? Um, Very important information because I have been getting questions in here, so people definitely, uh, their interest has been piqued. Yes. So, again, I I think you announced my name. I'm Dr. Dipnarayan Maharaj. Uh, Our institute is the Maharaj Institute of Immune Regenerative Medicine. We are based in Boynton Beach in Florida. Um, Our telephone number is 561-752-5522. I can repeat that again. It's 561-752-5522. We're on the website. Uh, We're on the web. And our email contact information is... um, Info, I-N-F-O, at B-M, sorry, B as in boy, M as in mother, S as in sugar, C as in Charlie, T as in Tom, I as in ink, dot O-R-G. That's info at B-M-S-C-T-I dot org. Excellent. That will all, all that information, uh, everybody will be put up when the podcast is up. Dr. Maharaj, thank you so much for taking the time. Fascinating conversation. Um, and everybody, we will join you next week again on The Health Hub. Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.